Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Having a week where nothing seems to be going right. Well, hang in there, because we are back with your favorite Avatar The Last Airbender Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Zach Muhammad, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and Saddened Saints fan, Jacob Redman. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Zach. Uh, you know, the Saints took a tough loss, but mm-hmm. it's okay. You know, I'm, I'm someone who usually suffers from destination fever. So I think this episode's uh, helpful. You know, it helps me put a, you know, a little more perspective on my life. Yeah, I didn't have the best week ever, though. Admittedly, my favorite sports team did not lose a playoff game. So (laughs) I don't know if my week's better or worse than yours. Probably a little bit better. But yeah, this episode, it was good. It was nice. This was a nice, chill episode of Avatar to watch. Nothing too crazy happens, but it was still a solid episode overall. What about you, Jacob? Do you have any initial thoughts about this episode? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so this is a throwaway episode. Like, you know, nothing that happens here is, like, gonna change the course of Avatar. But, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't mean that we can't be having fun. I mean, this episode has uh, some of the more memorable characters that come in from one episode. We have, like, this band of hippies, which, like, really just have, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of misadventures and songs and silly stuff like that. And I think that this is fun. You know, in a week that, uh, like, may feel stressful or anything we we have a we have an episode of avatar where you just get to sit back and i think that's nice no you're right and that and that is a pretty apt description honestly this is a very fun little episode it almost it kind of does have some parallels to the great divide for me i don't know if you felt that in a way because they're traveling through this past path trying to get to this destination and they have these wacky side characters except instead of the two tribes we have this like band of hippies with their guitars and <laughs> poor Sokka this episode <laughs> getting stuck you have a <laughs> we'll get to it but everyone's gone it's just him stranded with the hippies and in that yeah. moment I really sympathize <laughs> with poor old Sokka yeah, he really low rolled on that one. You know, he could have gotten like a good group of people and said he gets the just the hippies and that's got to be rough for him. But here I think like, uh, yeah, this is it's a good episode. It's better than The Great Divide for sure. And that like this episode is lots of fun. They do other cool stuff with the animation, which we saw in The Great Divide episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think coming away from this episode, I'm just like, yeah, that was a good time. Uh, it also has one of the most notable pop culture moments uh, from Avatar. Like, I, I know that, like, everything changed when the Fire Nation attack has taken on a second life. But I also think the Secret Tunnel song is uh, something that even people who don't know the Avatar, uh, like, universe may also uh, be aware of. Inter- interesting. I, didn't, I don't know too much. So, is the Secret Tunnel song, like, this popular? I, d- I didn't know that, actually. Uh, I've seen this on TikTok all the time. Uh, and it's on, like, some TikToks that are not even, like, you know avatar base these are just random other things i think this pops up uh it'll pop up you know every now and again i there are some tiktoks that i can link you to zach 
No, it's fine. It's fine. This is funny because it's the first mention of Avatar TikTok we've had in a while. But the fact that it's in TikTok's unrelated Avatar, no, that definitely shows its popularity. And yeah, I mean, is there anything you wanted to touch on before we jump straight into this episode? I mean, I was recently on Rob and Akiva Need a Podcast this week. Yeah. Shout out to anybody who listened to that. That was a fun time with the Among Us talking about Kazam. And then we had the Among Us mailbag. That was a great time. If anybody hasn't listened to that, I'd highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, it was a podcast even longer than how we go, but it was really great. Uh, I love hearing you on Robin Akiva Need a Podcast with, uh, you know, my all-time favorite podcaster, Akiva. Uh, and it, yeah, it was great to see you there. Did you, you listen did to it, Jacob? Because they, they were actually asking about your uh, stand-up, and I, I thought I backed you up. I thought I gave you some support there. They were like, oh, is, is Jacob still Akiva's biggest fan? And I was like, yeah, I, I think so. You know, this is something, uh, you know, I'm happy to get into this at any point. Anyone who wants to fight me for the crown, like, let's fight, let's go. Uh, my thought is that, like, I'm not the most vocal person, um, but I do listen to pretty much everything that he makes uh, as soon as I possibly can. So, I think the episode drops Saturday. Uh, that means, you know, that's on my Sunday morning to-do list as soon as I get to it. So, I'm an Akiva fan through and through, and you know what? I'll use my Aang in their platform to take on <laughs> anyone who's willing to fight me for that crown. So. Well, th- there we go. And yeah, that was a fun time. And you're right. It was a little too long for my taste. No. If I, full, full disclosure, by the end of it, man, I was so hungry. I was yeah. like, I was absolutely famished. That's why before this episode, I was like, okay, I got to make sure I eat a lunch and do all that. But um, yeah, we can we can jump yeah. straight into well, straight one, into the episode. One right more here. thing, Zach, before oh, we get yeah, too yeah, far feel free. in. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, played yeah. some Fruit Ninja this week and that game oh. is not fun. Really? Uh, yeah, it's it, not it has fun. not evolved since like whatever it was. It's the, like, same, it's the same old, same old. They have not it's updated s- it. No new fruits. Is there no like durian that pops up in your screen or anything like that? So there are some new fruits and there's like some superpowers and some of the swords have powers and all that. But it's the same thing. And I it was pretty repetitive. So you know what? I was ready to come on here and tell you it's going to be the app of Aang in there and I'm taking it back. Uh, <laughs> you know, I only had it on my phone for, I don't know, maybe two nights and I just was so bored. So See, I, I didn't even bother playing it because I felt like it was repetitive like a decade ago. <laughs> and I think a lot of people did. Like it, it was one of those things like fidget spinners where it had like kind of a pop culture moment and then just immediately was back in the dustbin and nobody was playing it. So it was like, it was relevant for like a month in like 2010 and then was completely irrelevant for like the rest of his existence. I just, I, re- I remember, I'll never forget when the Kinect came out and like the people were saying, oh yeah, Fruit Ninja on the Kinect. And then like no single person bought that. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's uh, true. Uh, but you know what? We're still on the look for the official app of Aang in there. So, uh, not for Ninja. We, we might try again later, but. Uh, that's all I wanted to say before we get into the episode. Yeah, no big thing. I mean, I, I didn't even bother playing it. I should have, <laughs> honestly, because I'm kind of curious now. Maybe even <laughs> I'll come back with my own Fruit Ninja update next week because I right. kind of want I want. I want to see what they added. I want to see, like, okay, you've had this out for a decade. I want to see if they just added only cosmetic stuff or they actually changed up the formula a little bit. Yeah, it seemed uh, pretty much the same game. But here, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about today. True, we're, talk- we are we're here not- to talk about... The Cave of Two Lovers, uh, one of the most nostalgic episodes, in my opinion. Uh, I love thinking about this episode. This episode brings me back to my childhood, and I'm super excited to get into it with you, Zach. So, let's get started. Uh, The episode opens up. Uh, We see a small body of water. Uh, I think that we should start like a running counter of where Team Avatar starts, because it seems like they start in like these small bodies of water pretty often. Um but what we see is uh, the camera shows Team Avatar just hanging out um, with 
Aang and Katara practicing their waterbending. Of course, it wouldn't be an episode without Sokka complaining, so uh, (laughs) we get to start with Sokka saying, uh, are you guys going to be ready to go soon? Yeah, we see Sokka floating on a lily pad. It looks like almost like an oversized like leaf hammock thing. Momo's chilling on his stomach. And yeah, this is just, you're talking about the locations that the episodes start in. I always think, especially season one and season two, just some of these locations are absolutely stunning. Like, I want to visit all, I kind of wish I could just jump into <laughs> yeah. my TV and visit some of these places sometimes because they're in like this beautiful, like almost oasis-like location because it's just it's this like small body of water. It's very serene, I thought. I was like, damn, I just had a horrible week. I want to go chill on this peaceful island with the gang, Team Avatar. That's what I was thinking while watching this episode. Yeah, you know, uh, they definitely have some really pretty locations. You know, the postcard of this place would be just uh, a beautiful one to look at. Um, but yeah, so we we jump right in and Sokka's, you know, complaining, asking if they can go, uh, saying that they need to get ready. Katara shoots back and says like, oh, you're ready to go right now? And Sokka says he could be ready in two minutes. Zach, are you typically the first person to get ready uh, if you're in like a group of people? Mm, I don't want to say like I'm the first person to get ready, but I will say this. I can get ready quick. Like if we're running late, I can do the 10 minute shower and just quickly doll myself up and get out of the house. I'm one of those people who like I can actually get ready within the two minutes. Like I'm never the last one to get be ready to leave. What about yourself? I'm I'm not going to say like I'm the first and the most proactive, but I'm never last. I'll say that much. Yeah. You know, I think I find myself being uh, the first more often. Um yeah, mainly because I just don't really care what I look like. So, you know, I'll put on a hat. Like, I'm not going to do anything. I'm, I'm in hair. a similar like, boat. Yeah. Like, I'm just yeah. I'm just ready to get out. So, I think mm-hmm. uh, I really related here with Sokka, you know, getting ready soon. But Aang and Katara have more important stuff to do. Aang is talking about the octopus form. Uh, so, they start going over this stance. And, you know, just like any good uh, little romantic show, we have... Someone walking under and, you know, giving those techniques under the arm saying like, no, this is how you position yourself. And we get that little sweet moment with Aang blushing as he now knows the right stance to be in. Yeah. We what, get what's your cl- take on this? Yeah, we get the classic like man teaching like woman how to swing baseball bat. Like, oh, let me show you how to do it. And then he ran. But instead, Katara is the that person in this instance. And yeah, like... It, it, we're, it's the title of the episode, Tale of Two Lovers, and immediately we're, we're, we're set and we're going to see, like, this is going to be all about Aang and Katara's blossoming love throughout the episode. Yep. Uh, one thing that I've noticed is there's more blushing in this episode than I've ever seen in real life. Uh, you know, here we have Katara, like, getting behind Aang and, like, holding him and saying, like, oh, this is how you do it. And Aang just, like, immediately starts blushing. This is not the only time we get this. And I think, yeah, blushing is not something I've seen. I don't really think I see it in even uh, animated TV shows that are coming out now. So maybe it's just, like, outdated. But this really did not feel like uh, a time to blush. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I think it's, I think Avatar The Last Airbender, and I could be wrong, but it just seems like they're very influenced by Japanese animation in particular. And I don't know if any of the viewers have seen a lot of Japanese animation, but there's a lot of like blushing, outlandish facial expressions, like mouth, jaw to the floor, almost like Looney Tunes-esque in a way. So I kind of like, even this episode when I saw it, because you're right, there is an insane amount of blushing this episode. Even later on in the episode, both Katara and Aang 
crying or blushing after their kiss. So you're right. There is an abnormal amount of blushing, but I kind of felt like this is, this was almost a norm, not necessarily with Western animation, but with the Japanese animation that it's influenced off of. I think I see blushing in that stuff all the time. So I was kind of like accustomed to it. And also I wanted to talk about this though, because he ends up learning doing this octopus move, like or octopus style. And we're, we're just at the beginning of the season two, but you can already see Aang has made massive strides in his water bending. I think he's able to control this water octopus and parry like every single one of Katara's attacks. And I feel like, wow, this is a stark contrast from the Aang even like 10 episodes ago. What about, what did you think about this, Jacob? Yeah, so the, we get Aang, you know, acting like an octopus with all these tentacles around, all made of water. Katara starts shooting ice at him, and he's able to just block all of them. Uh, yeah, it seems like Katara is a really good teacher because Aang was not really getting the water bending beforehand, but now it seems like, you know, he's uh, one with the octopus. Hopefully no one turns him into calamari. <laughs> yeah, true. And hopefully he doesn't align himself with Ursula against one of our <laughs> former quartet members, Aaron. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I do think that he's made like quite a bit of progress on his water bending. Uh, and yeah, I think like, you know, it's kind of assumed that like, you know, it's book two, he's going to be learning earth. Like, yes, he has water bending to learn, but he's not like a novice there anymore. Like, if this is in like Jedi terms, like maybe he's like a Jedi Knight, not a Padawan in terms of uh, his waterbending at this point. Yes, and you raise a good point that this is a testament to Katara's teaching, honestly. I think Katara does an excellent job whenever her and Aang are at one of these like beautiful locales. They're always working on their craft. And yeah, she's done a great job teaching because you can definitely see like the improvements he's made in his waterbending. And then after we see this, we see these <laughs> hippie stoner nomads stumble upon the gang. I mean, yes. how, how would you describe these guys, Jacob? You get the vibe that they're, these guys are out there, to say the least. Uh, yeah, no, that's, that is very fair. You know, these people are the type that are just, you know, wandering around. These are nomads. They're just having a good time. They're not really too concerned about what's happening. Lots of flowers in their hair, flowers yeah. all around. Weird hairdos, not conventionally uh, well dressed or anything like that. But they start just coming down the uh, coming down the road, singing a song about not falling in love with a traveling girl. So watch out, Zach. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna be falling in love with any traveling girls anytime soon, especially considering the fact that we're all holed up still in the middle of yeah. this pandemic. So yeah, definitely I don't, don't trust the traveling to... girl. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But yeah, these these guys are. Um, I feel like they're smoking every, any substance that yeah. they come across in the Avatar universe. These guys, very 70s, like hippie, stoner-esque. And then once they get into their song, how would you describe their leads? I forget that because I know there's Moku and then I forget this, their leader's name, this like hippie man I with his, his guitar. I think his name's like Chong or something like yes, that. Yes, no, no, you're right. His name, his name is Chong. But yeah, how would you describe Chong's like vocals? Because Chong is singing throughout the episode. Kind of remind me almost like Bob Dylan-esque where the actual song content is fine, but his voice is kind of a little... I don't know, annoying to say the least. Sorry to offend any Bob Dylan aficionados in the audience. He's a great songwriter, but not the most um, sonically pleasing voice to listen to. But what, what do you think, Jacob? Yeah, you know, uh, I don't think the Bob Dylan comparison is bad here. Like, mm -hmm. I think the the content of the song is much more important than, like, exactly what he's, uh, yes. like how he's singing it. Yes, and I think it's exactly. interesting you go to uh, Bob Dylan because I think later – um, there is a Bob Dylan reference in this uh, where 
Chong says like, oh, the tunnel's a change in just like the times are a change in song. So oh, that's funny I that did, you pointed that out that. because uh, I think that they probably had this pretty intentionally in mind. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he kind of screams Bob Dylan in a way, but I'm not, I'm not even the biggest Bob Dylan fan. So I did not that that I did not catch that reference. So yeah. shout out to Jacob here being perceptive <laughs> as always. Well, you know, that I try, Zach. Uh, so yeah, so then we, what, do, what do they say to the group here? For like, Because I know they compliment Sokka's underwear, but they have some other weird comments. Because I, I have in my notes, like, yeah, this episode got off to a kind of <laughs> got a crazy start on it. A very weird way to start the episode with these, like, yeah. hippie nomads. So, so, Chong walks up and he's like, hey, river people. And Katara's like, we're not river people. And Chong's like, you're not? Well, who are you? And Aang says, just people. And Chong has a great, this, you know what? This is something that we can all get behind. He says, aren't we all brother after, uh, hearing they're just people. So, you know, they're, they're like having conversations and Chong introduces himself to the group. He's like, uh, so I'm Chong. Here's my wife. And we just go wherever the wind takes us. Uh, Aang is excited to find out that there are more nomads, but then Chong, like, yeah, did, did you find this joke funny? So Aang's no. like, I'm a nomad. <laughs> I know you're going to say the joke, but no, I did not find it funny. But continue. And Chong's like, oh, yeah, me too. Aang's like, you just told me that. And he's like, okay. Uh, yeah, that joke. <laughs> I think, you know, when I was like nine, I thought that joke was funny. And I would like do that. I'd be like, oh, hey, like, you know, I'm like a fourth grader. I, and someone would be like, I am too. I'd be like, oh, cool. Me too. Like I, that. But yeah, not anymore. I, th- I think it's not the worst like written joke ever. But yeah, I just, I'm not a fan of like that super like awkward cringe. Like, hey, how do you just forget what I'm saying? I'm not a, a fan of that style of humor necessarily. So this is one of the jokes that fell a little flat for me this episode. Yeah, but, I think uh, uh, Chong might mm-hmm. be chomping on the maca root too much or whatever it may be to, uh, to have <laughs> yeah, some Yeah, well, well, what was that bush that Sokka was talking about? He fell into one episode, the brambleberry yeah, bush? Yeah, the brambleberries, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Chong smoking some of that brambleberry <laughs> kush is what he's doing. I would believe that. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, then we cut to Iro and Zuko, and they're also stuck in some bushes because Zuko's complaining about being a fugitive. He just, he's not vibing with this lifestyle, while um, Iro's pondering if the flower, this white flower he's looking at, has either rare tea leaves that are delicious or if it's deadly and poisonous. Yeah, you know, Iroh, true to form, uh, really just cares about tea, uh, and eating lots of food. So here he sees all this tea and he's, or he sees this bush, which either is tea or is poison. You know, predictably, he's gonna end up making the tea here. But I have to say that, you know, Iroh's very irresponsible doing this. Uh, you know, you at least have to get like a local horticulturist to be like, oh, you know, what's the percent chance I'm gonna die? Like, get something better than just like, a random guess yeah i completely agree with you and like it's funny because sometimes we get very sage wise iro and other times we get the on this iro where he's like kind of like ang in a way in a way where he just wants to try this flower regardless of if it's poisonous or not and yeah he's quite reckless because we'll get to it but he does end up consuming this tea and spoiler alert it was poisonous sadly yeah yeah. You know, hopefully at least uh, the poison tea was still tasty. Uh, so at least like it wasn't all bad. But yeah, he he's going to end up drinking the the poison instead of the tea. I have to think, Zach, so they're like they're in the middle of the forest and it's not like, you know, this is a very hidden place that they're in. 
Don't you think that if it was the tea and not the poison that someone would have already taken it? Like the fact that it's there means like it's probably poison. At least no, like, no, that would be a good my point. argument. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that. If I'm being honest, because yeah, you're right. It would be. It would have been scooped up. And also, yeah. if if Iroh thinks it's tea, why couldn't he? Because like you just said, they're in the middle of a forest. Could he not just find like another flower that he could make like maybe a not a stellar tea out of? But at least it's like a hundred percent chance of not being poisonous. You know what I mean? Like, couldn't he find a flower in the forest that's like a guarantee? tea like decent tea that's you know what i mean like a flower yeah. that he's already come across in his travels does that make sense yeah i think that you know uncle ira's probably more risk loving than i am you know if i'm right. uh, getting the choice between tea and my life i'm gonna pick my life all the time uh but you know what uncle ira's calculus is different he's already old you know he maybe he's had some mediocre teas and he just wants the best tea he can get yeah, like you, I'm a little risk averse, adverse, but I guess Uncle Iroh, he's just built different. Yep, he really is. Uh, speaking <laughs> of people who are built different, we go back to Aang and the hippie gang. Uh, so we see, yeah, um, you know, uh, Appa is getting his hair done by uh, the guy's wife. And, you know, uh, Appa seems to be living life of luxury. You know, he has his hair done in braids. He looks like he's having a good time. Uh, you know, Katara, she seems like she's having a good time. Aang's hearing stories from Chong, but Sokka's not too happy. Uh, Sokka's really wanting to get on the way. And he says, uh, because Katara is busy, he has to be the wet blanket of the group. Yeah, and Sokka is just, he's adamant that they go on a straight path to Omashu and they don't take any of the detours because these hippies are telling Aang of all these places they've traveled and Aang wants to stop at each one of them and Sokka is just not happy with any of this. He just wants to go straight to Omashu and he says they're wasting way too much time. And the hippies tell them there's actually a secret path through the mountains to Omashu and then they actually burst into a song illustrating their point. And the song basically tells this Romeo and Juliet esque story of two lovers forbidden to be in love because they're from warring tribes basically but they don't go into as much detail as they will later on in the episode where you get the full fleshed out backstory of these two lovers uh are we not getting a singing rendition uh, i'm pretty sure <laughs> am i am the... i gonna i mean you could say you could tackle no, this if you zach, want I, I think uh you know in my notes here it says uh zach is now going <laughs> to demonstrate chong's song by singing i, I don't know uh the miscommunication here oh I, I yeah yeah I, 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 that was definitely a, oh yeah i forgot we completely agreed upon yeah, me exactly I thought we, exactly I, oh yeah i forgot we agreed i would deliver every song in the episode <laughs> I mean, I don't want to torture the list. I could sing, but I don't want to torture the listeners with my, like, horrible off-key vocals. So, I won't subject them All to right. that. Sorry. That's, that's fair. <laughs> uh, I think the important part is, uh, yeah, so Chong, like, can't remember the line. And then uh, it just erupts into the chorus of Secret Tunnel, which has become, uh, <laughs> yeah, a, a, one of my favorite things from Avatar. I think this is one of the things that lives on. The other thing I've seen randomly recently, uh, and this won't come up quite yet, is uh, whenever Aang is undergoing trial for killing um, the general as Kyoshi, uh, there's like a bring out the wheel of punishment. I've seen that like two or three times recently, and I don't know why, but that is occupying my head rent free. So when we get to that, I will... Uh, I'll also come with some TikToks for you as well. <laughs> All right, perfect. Maybe we can link some TikToks in our um, episode notes. Okay, yeah, I'm down. You know, the more TikToks, the merrier. <laughs> Sounds good to me. 
Then we get this like this very I want to say like family guy esque cutaway gag, and I kind of I noticed the jokes more in this episode, and some landed for me, and others didn't because the last episode, the season two premiere, was kind of not too much humor there. I thought it was a pretty serious episode, especially compared to this one where it's a lot more lighthearted. I think, especially with the hippies being present for the whole episode, it's tough to make it super dark. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So Sokka's like, no, we're going to go fly. And Aang's like, yeah, Appa can handle it. You know, Appa doesn't like going underground, so we're going to do whatever makes Appa more comfortable. (laughs) And then uh, immediately we cut to just a ton of Fire Nation soldiers launching an attack of fireballs as Appa's like going through the air, trying to get out of the way. And uh, I think that this is the same commander that we saw in the jet episode. Um, but what we see is uh, a barrage of fireballs being sent at the team. And then we cut to Sokka saying, secret love cave, let's go, uh, as they finally relent to go into the secret tunnel and not take the direct air path. Yeah, I mean, you basically summed it up. And yeah, I did, and I'm not, no, are you 100% sure of that, that that's the general from the Jet episode? I'm 100% sure of very few things, so uh, no. <laughs> no. that's fair. That's fair. But, but I, I, I just did not notice that. So, that's a good that's a good catch if that is the case. Uh, I, I can try to confirm this uh, and get back to you. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure about very few things. So, uh, you know, I could be making it up. But if I had to, like, you know, put money on it, I would say that they are probably the same person. So. You know yeah, what? Let's I just mean, give me credit for the. No, uh, no, I'll, I'll, you sure. know what? I'll just give you the credit. And then this general actually, he has a pretty funny joke later on in the episode because he's like, oh, we can't go in the cave. He's telling his troops, haven't you guys heard the song about the cave? <laughs> and it's like, so I was wondering, so did, 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 um, Chong and his wife and, um, Moku, did their song chart on the bossing say top 100? Was it just popular across the land? Is that how they're able to fund all their travels? Yeah, I think it might be, you know, they might be like the one hit wonders who like have the secret tunnel song that everyone loves. You know, (laughs) there are people in the streets lining up for it. Uh, You know, there was merch sold uh, with like secret tunnels and all that. But yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the only way they're funding their travel. Uh, It seems like that's the best case because it does seem like the song's relatively well known and that everyone knows there's like a curse and people will die if they don't follow the heart Which kind of surprised me. Like I was surprised that this Fire Nation soldier knew this song. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. I didn't realize I mean, their song was this popular. There are a few things that connect the Earth Kingdom with the Fire Nation. And I think this might be one of them. You know, this song transcends all uh, all different, like different groups. Uh, it's like Dolly Parton. Everyone likes her or at least like doesn't hate her. I've never met somebody who like despises Dolly Parton and I, yeah. I've always I'm not a base country guy. I, I absolutely Dolly Parton. I think she's a good person. Very charitable too. nobody yeah. hates Dolly. See, I so, think uh, this group of hippies is the Dolly Parton equivalent. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think I like Dolly Parton a little more than this group of hippies, honestly. <laughs> right, I'm kind of team sock, especially as we get later on in the episode. We'll get to that, though, because for now, we're going to cut back to Zuko and Iroh. And sadly, Iroh's curiosity got the best of him, as I mentioned earlier, and the flower that he consumed turned out to be poisonous. He states that he's got a nasty rash and is about to stop breathing. So yeah. Zuko, Zuko, I'm surprised Iroh is so quick to like note that and so casually. Like if I'm about to stop breathing, I'm kind of panicking a little more. But then Iroh's already, he, I'll give him credit. He's pretty proactive. He's trying to weigh out his options. And he tells Zuko they have two options. Go to the Earth Kingdom and risk being turned in and killed or go to the Fire Nation who would turn them into Azula. And naturally, 
they choose to go to the Earth Kingdom. Logical <laughs> choice here. No, 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 no. There's nothing really to say. I too would have gone to the Earth Kingdom over uh, to face Azula's wrath. They know how insane Azula is. They're not dancing around that. So I think they made the correct choice here. What do you think, Jacob? I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, <laughs> this is the right choice. Uh, the Earth Kingdom at least will like, you know, put you in front of a court. Like maybe they'll like get you in trouble. Like it, it seems like they're going to be at least somewhat lenient. Whereas Azula, no grace. Uh, she's just dispatching of you really quickly. Uh, before we even get to that choice, we see Uncle Iroh has a, a bunch of berries and these berries either cure the poison <laughs> or they cause blindness. Another choice that's just, uh, you know, a great one to try. I thought that yeah, was what funny. a horrible choice. Shout out to Zuko. Zuko's actually like almost like uh, the Iroh to Iroh Zuko here because Zuko just grabs the berries out of his hands and just chucks them, yeah. chucks them and is like, no more taking these chances, which is true. It's like yeah. if, I, if Iroh has a bad role here again, then not only does he have this horrible rash, but he's also blind. So yeah. <laughs> I don't even know why he's considering this after his first 50-50 did not go the way he wanted. I mean, the rash was pretty bad. Uh, so I think, you know, maybe wanting to stop the rash and have a cure I, makes sense. I guess, but yeah, if, if the risk is blindness, then like, come on now, like just go into a town. Like, I don't know. Uh, they end up going into a town. Everything ends up being all right. It's clearly the best decision. I'm glad that mm -hmm. that's the one that Zuko convinced Iroh to do rather than be blind, uh, just like a character we're going to see in a few episodes. Yeah, and then we cut back to the gang and the hippies, and apparently the the Chong Chong remembers the lyrics, and he he says that the cave is cursed, and if you don't believe in love, you'll get trapped in it and die. That's yeah, what Chong essentially uh, tells it, the group. It's not just that there's like a cave; it's a labyrinth with a curse where you die if you don't follow love. Yes. Uh, this is yes. one of those cases where you really need to read the terms of service. You know, like you click those boxes that are like, oh, yeah, 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 that all sounds good. But here Sokka should have investigated a little bit more like in these terms and conditions, like he's gotten a lot more than he was bargaining for originally. And uh, yeah, he's definitely getting uh, a pretty bad deal. I think I would take my risk with the people shooting, um, you know, these giant flaming boulders as opposed to going into a labyrinth that's cursed. You're right, but also we're going to learn that this place, this isn't true, right? They actually didn't even need to follow true love. At least maybe like you could argue Aang and Kintara had to, but all they had to do was turn off their lights. And also any earthbender would be able to travel through this easily because I don't think Sokka got out of this cave by believing in true love. He got out by the grace of the badger moles. Unless it's like you could argue like, oh, the badger moles like the love song. So technically it's true love that got Sokka out. And I guess, but that's kind of apples and oranges to me. Cause yeah. I don't know. I feel like, so I feel like Sokka did not get out of this cave by following true love. Like you could make that argument for Ang and Katara and I'd be fine with it, but Sokka, I don't think so. What about yeah, you? What do you no, think? I agree. I think uh, when we get to it in a bit, we'll see that Sokka really lucked out here. And Yes, uh, he does I luck think, out. I think maybe the hippies like carried him on his back a bit and uh, were able to have enough true love to overcome Sokka's curmudgeonly, uh, curmudgeonly <laughs> stance. But yeah, I, I agree. Uh, like, you know, this is not a great choice to go in here. Aang hears like, oh, you just have to believe in true love. Uh, so he starts, you know, staring at Katara and he's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. But I'm not sure that that is like, sure, you might like, you know, have this little crush on Katara and all. But I really think that a cursed labyrinth is not something to be taken lightly. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And honestly, this episode, I was quite sympathetic with soccer and his plight, actually, because I feel like I would be the more rational person like he was. I would be trying to, like, map out the whole cave and not even bothering with this these whole true love shenanigans, because I don't know, how can you depend on that, really? Until you really see it happen, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, you know, maybe we're just not believers, but I think I'd rather take a a surefire thing of like trying to fly around the Fire Nation. You know, you've done it so many times. You're probably experts at this point. And I would take that over uh, into the the labyrinth. One thing I do like is that Chong keeps calling Aang Master Arrowhead. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's a good nickname for him. Uh, I thought, I thought that was clever and cute. I, uh, yeah, I like that. It has nothing to do with the plot. No, 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 but you're right. But I, I also have that in my notes. I like the master arrowhead nickname as nice. well. I wasn't going to bring it up, but since you did, I, I'll, I'll mention, I'll mention that. I think that's a dope nickname too. That's one of those, cause I don't know. I, I like Chong and the hippies as characters, but at the same time, I'm kind of like glad they're just one episode characters because mm-hmm. I felt like they would have. Had they appeared in more episodes, would have like gotten under my skin more because they're kind of just like their stupidity gets grating at times. I feel like even as a viewer, not even just putting myself in soccer's shoes. So I don't know. Yeah, what, I think what did you think of these these hippies and their intelligence levels, especially as they tra- progress through their travels in the cave? I mean, they're definitely annoying, and I don't think that they like speak as clearly as I would, uh, you know, talk to people in my everyday life. But I think it would have been funny to have them like rejoin the rest of the group, uh, sort of like in the last episode of season three, whenever like they have everyone from the past three books come together and try to defeat the Fire Lord. It would have been funny if you had these people just like break out like a ton of weapons and have them be like super good fighters as well they just like never wanted to i think that would have been like a funny gag True. Well, but and i'm kind of surprised they don't, they don't bring them back actually because this is what these are side characters that they actually give names to and stuff like chong moku and i forget, i feel bad i forget his wife's name oh i gotta be better with names in the future but um yeah because i feel like they bring back the swamp people who don't even have names those guys yeah. come back in late season three i know that there's a couple of odd side characters that they end up choosing from and i feel like chong and his group might have even been better for in that regard but maybe they just didn't want to keep they want to keep them as lovers and not fighters maybe that was the decision that they made yeah i do think that the swamp people who are introduced in a few episodes kind of take over the role of these people you know they're the, like you, you're right they're the like that. people who are like not very direct like they're uh they're probably you know not on the same level as like Aang and Katara in terms of like they're like this is the mission, this is what we want to do. They're more like, oh, just like live your life type people. And I feel like they come back, uh, and I think that we'll see those swamp people. Uh, and that will like kind of alleviate the need for these hippies, but I wouldn't mind seeing them at least one more time. Yeah, no, you're right. That's fair. And then but- so they travel further into the cave, Sokka, Katara, Aang, and these hippies. And Sokka, like I was saying, he wants to map out every place they've been so it'll be easier to navigate. But the hippies are not really having much of it. Chong is just like, follow love, man. You don't need any of those the maps and any <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, you know- yeah, so Sokka and the hippies are just not vibing. Yeah, so Sokka has a plan that he wants to get through. And honestly, you have to be on Sokka's side here uh, because Sokka's like, oh, how much light do we have? And the hippies are like, oh, like these each uh, torch lasts two hours. So they will last 10 hours in total. And they all start lighting them all at once. And Sokka has to be like, no, you cannot light them all at the same time. Like we need to wait. Uh, And I, you know, I feel like, you know, Sokka having to deal with these people. I'm definitely, definitely on his side here. 
Yeah, and this is one of the few episodes, actually, I feel like, where you're just like, Sokka's completely in the right. Like this, the Jet episode, there are a few. Because other times, Sokka, I don't know, Sokka, sometimes he's an inconsistent character. Sometimes he's completely in the correct, other times, not so much, Sokka. Yeah. Uh, the next thing we see is we go to an Earth Kingdom town. Uh, here we're in, like, a pretty small village, it looks like. Uh, we have, like... Uh, you know, a few doctors like looking at uh, different people, I guess, giving them treatments. Uh, and then we have, uh, like another doctor come up and she's saying, uh, or she's treating Zuko and Iroh and she's saying like, oh, like you guys don't look like from, uh, you're from around here because like you touched the white jade and that's like, uh, you know, clearly poisonous. <laughs> and I feel like that's just, uh, you know, making Iroh seem even more silly. Uh, True. Going she's looking shading him here, jade. honestly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, so as she introduces herself, she's like, Oh, where are you all from? Zuko does not, uh, handle this very well. You know, she's saying like, where are you traveling from? Zuko could just be like, Oh, you know, we've been traveling for a bit. Or he's like, yeah. Uh, instead he's just like, yes, uh, we are travelers and we do have names. Like <laughs> he does not do a very good job improvising here. I would not want to hear the Zuko podcast. No, you are right. Izuko is not quick on his feet here, but luckily it works out because he's like, oh, I am Lee and this is my uncle Mushi. And Iroh, is, like, once again, Iroh like, kind of saves Zuko here because he's like, yes, we call Lee Jr. after his father. And uh, so, yeah, Lee and Mushi will continue and they'll end up this nice young woman who's treating them is named Song and she actually invites them home for dinner. Zuko correctly states that they should keep moving, but we all know Iroh is not going to turn down a free meal here. As soon as they heard, as, as soon as Iroh heard dinner, he was uh, stopping down in this well, place. I, I don't know why they shouldn't eat. You know, Zuko is complaining about not being, uh, not having food earlier. So it seems like, you know, this is a great, great thing. You know, earlier Uncle Iroh really had a low roll by eating poison instead of good tea. Here, they get really lucky. I mean, they luck out. They have someone who's going to treat Uncle Iroh and get rid of that awful rash that he has. They're going to feed them roast duck. They're going to treat them nicely. I mean, this has to be like the luckiest Zuko and Iroh have gotten in quite a long time uh, since they've been, you know, outcast from the Fire Nation. They do get lucky here and they'll end up eating this duck roast. But I just, I think they, I think Zuko's correct. Like, I think they should get treated and then leave this area because they're still pretty close. There's still Fire Nation throughout the area. So I feel like they gotta just travel as far as they can while eating meager rations and just get out of there rather than stopping and having this dinner. I don't know. It feels like they're cutting it a little too close. Yeah, uh, I mean, that makes sense to me. It, it, mm -hmm. Maybe it's just that it ends up well that I think it's a good decision. But uh, actually, wait, one thing I wanted to mention, mm -hmm. uh, Zuko's hair here is like really ugly. Uh, so like, you know, last episode, he cuts off his little uh, bun and like he just grows his hair out. But here, this is like the worst hairdo. It's like uh, the haircut you give an eight year old when they weren't willing to sit still long enough to give them a real haircut. Yeah, it's kind of like a five o'clock shadow, except it's all over his head. That's how I would <laughs> yeah. describe it. No, that's you're, very I, accurate. I didn't have this in my notes, but you, I can picture it because I just watched the episode again this morning. And you're right. He does kind of have that 
weird hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for anyone, if you have not watched the episode recently, I would skip to this scene and just look at his hair because it's kind of, he's just got like cue ball head. I don't know how to describe yeah. it. So it's kind of just like shaved down. I mean, you can still see his hair. It's very circular, I guess. And we never really see Zuko rock hair like this in the future. He'll yeah. end up growing it out a little more and that's the extent we'll see his hair yeah. styles evolve. I feel like we have a few good Zuko looks. So, like, the the royal prince bun looks good. The shaggy hair Zuko looks good. But the interim is just rough. I mean, it's like you got a really bad haircut and you just have to live through it because uh, he's not making this hair work. And, yeah, not only does his hair grow super fast because, you know, last episode we saw him cut it off. But also, it is is just – it is not a good look for him. I just had to mention that as, uh, I guess, the fashion fashion police (laughs) here on Aang in there. True, true, true. And I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to hate. I don't got the best hair myself, so I won't be too insulting <laughs> of Zuko's haircut. Yeah. I mean, at the same time, he was also kind of forced to cut his hair too. It's not his, it's not like he can blame like a barber or anything like that. It was more so he was on the run. He just has to live this, with this bad hairstyle temporarily. So we're going to briefly cross cut back with Tasaka and the gang and all them. So, cause it's going to go back and forth here, correct? Between scenes. So I guess we can just focus on like the team avatar stuff that's happening and then we can go to Zuko and Iroh and talk about their whole dinner. Is that cool, Jacob? Does that make sure. sense? Yeah, sounds good yeah. to me. So we go yeah, back. There, there was a lot of cross-cutting back and forth, I thought. Yeah. So we go back to the cave and here mm-hmm. we have uh, Chong being upset. I think this is when he says the, uh, oh, the tunnels, they're changing. It's the curse. Uh, and that's like the Bob Dylan reference there. Uh, but yeah, so it sounds like, uh, Chong's now decided that this was a bad idea. And so Sokka's like, yeah, if only we listen to you. Uh, just then we see a bunch of weird noises coming from the dark part of the tunnel. Momo gets scared and flees. And that's always a bad sign when the animals get scared. Um, but then just then, uh, we see Sokka raise up his torch and we see a ton of wolf bats fly from the darkness. Uh, wolf bats might be like two things I'm scared of put together. And yeah, they're pretty terrifying put together as well. I would not want to see the live action version of these wolf bats. Yeah, true. They have like this little like almost mini jump scare, I want to say. And yeah, honestly, bats in real life even kind of scare me. I feel like bats are kind of just ugly, hideous creatures, yeah. honestly. I could kind of, I was kind of happy when they were painted as this antagonist when the coronavirus first came out because yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big bat person. If I'm being honest, I can even kind of see it from Bruce Wayne's perspective. Like bats are just kind of scary <laughs> creatures. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're ugly. They got like those little like pig, like gremlin faces. I don't know, like little snouts. Ugh. And bats are disgusting. And these wolf bats in particular, you're absolutely right. In a live action version, if they were able to make Appa and Momo look as terrifying as they did from their relatively cute cartoon variants, then I could only imagine what type of hell M. Night Shyamalan and his CGI animating team would have <laughs> concocted when they brought these, if, if they had brought these wolf bats to 3D. Yeah, it would uh it would be something you'd have to turn your eyes from. That might make it PG-13 how scary that is. Uh Yeah, and I yeah. have a question for you. Do you think they overreact to the wolf bats a little bit though? And I say this as somebody who's actually kind of a little bit fearful of bats, but what it, what ends up happening is Sokka strides to ward away the bat with the torch and then from one of the embers from his torch accidentally burns Appa. And then Appa goes on a rampage which then causes a little rockfall avalanche that eventually separates Aang, Katara, and Appa from Sokka and the hippies. 
So poor Sokka got stuck as the sole navigator and with these hippies and then Aang, Katara, and Appa are stranded from the rest of the group. And I just thought it was a big overreaction to start like trying to fling fire at the wolf bats. You know what I mean? Like why not just let Aang and Katara handle it with bending? Yeah, you know, this is like kind of the the reaction that I would have as well. Like if I was trying to get mm-hmm. something away from me, I think that like, you know, uh threatening it with some fire is like probably a good way to go. No, so, no, maybe you're right. So I think that like Sokka couldn't have known the sequence of events was about to go off. You know, using the torch is gonna burn Appa and Appa's gonna make an entire avalanche of rocks happen. Like that's not something I would have seen, and I think I would no, be you're right, right in Sokka's right. here. So yeah, but it really is unfortunate for Sokka. Uh, Chong tries to comfort him and is like, yeah, uh, you guys are separated, but at least you have us. And Sokka's <laughs> quite upset with that. Uh, yeah, like I said, I could see it. For so- Sokka's just trying to get out of here. And these navigate, like, or these hippies are just not helpful at all. <laughs> like, when it comes to getting out of this cave until, until a little bit where they will help Sokka. Once he runs into this badger mole. So they'll show yeah. their worth in a few scenes. Yeah, you know, they, they do their job. Uh, staying with uh, Chong and the Sokka gang, they start singing a song um, just to pass the time as they're walking around. I wrote the lyrics down to the song because I found them pretty funny. So it's, uh, oh, don't let the cave get you down. Don't let the following rocks turn your smile into a frown. Uh, when the tunnels are darkest, that's when you need a clown. Hey, don't let the cave get you down. Which, uh, that is like, that feels like really elementary school bus type of song. Like, you know, you're rhyming down with frown with clown. Like, I don't know. These are like easy rhymes. And I feel like this is the sort of, uh, this is the sort of musical genre that you're getting into. Like really simple chant songs. Yeah. It kind of remind me of Shaq's bars from Kazam. Cause I have that fresh <laughs> on my mind. Cause he has some really simple ABC rhymes. Cause you're right. Nothing too complex about this song. And then also, and the, this, um, Chong, he ends up saying, he's like, dude, I've had an idea for like an hour. And then Song is like, so why did you say it like an hour ago? Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then Chong is like, what if we like, played a love song mad and Sokka just I mean his face or his forehead's gonna be very red with the amount of times he smacked it when uh, every yes. time Strong says something stupid yes uh yeah he does get very upset uh <laughs> there but yeah so the next thing that we see just as uh, sticking with the cave is that we see Aang and Katara uh they think that they found some sort of exit uh and mm-hmm. so they're like super excited uh, Appa's so happy that Appa like does a roar back and charges in. Uh, Appa hits the door. The door like creaks open. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, they see that instead of an exit, it's actually a tomb that they're going into. Question for you, Zach. How did Appa charging at the door make it move to the side? Cause I feel like in all my physics classes, uh, which is not many, I'm no expert here. Um, but I feel like, you know, they would have had needed some sort of force going to the side to like get the door to go the other way. Like, it seems like Appa was charging at it. Am I wrong? You are completely correct. Cause I, I, I remember this. I didn't notice this little goof, but I, I would say this is just a gaff on the animator's yeah. part. Honestly, what we should do going forward. Maybe I'm going to take a note after this episode. Avatar Wiki, the website actually lists all the animator goofs. So then every time, cause I feel like you'll notice some of them and I rarely do because I'm not as perceptive, but we could go through that and see if we notice any of them in the future. We don't have to do sure. that this yeah. episode, I mean, but yeah, I, that sounds I, like a good idea. 
I don't have any funny answer though. I just think it was a goof by the animators, honestly. Because you're right, it does it doesn't make sense for Appa to charge straight at the door, then for it to somehow go to the side, or it's one of those like secret door things where it's like Appa bumping into it caused mm, it to like yeah, activate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like which is common in animation, but also doesn't make sense really. <laughs> it's just like a common TV trope of like, oh, this secret door we bumped into it somehow opened by itself. Ooh. Yeah. So could be one of those things too. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, you know that could be it. Well. Uh, whatever it yeah. is, uh, it helps move the plot forward because what we have is <laughs> we have, uh, Eng Katara and they go up to this, uh, you know, this tomb. Uh, it looks like a, there's like a, a bunch of hieroglyphs or like pictures all on the tomb with two bodies, uh, waiting there. So Aang quickly realizes that it's the two people from the story, from the legend that they're buried there. And Katara starts telling the story. Uh, and yeah, here we and get these, another change oh, in animation okay. similar mm-hmm. to The Great Divide, where instead of like, you know, constantly moving animated characters, we get like a bunch of still painted things and uh we get l- a lot less movement that we are accustomed to here. And it's more drawn like it would be uh like a painting of a landscape rather than an animated TV show. Yeah, and I just want to interject a little bit. And the anim- I just want to say the animation here is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful, I think. These paintings, they do an excellent job painting the story of these two lovers. And I found myself, after the story was done, actually in- like invested in the story in a way. I was like, wow, that was just a very good short story. It was almost reminiscent of like, everyone says the first five minutes of Up are an amazing short story. Yeah, and I thought yeah. even after this, I kind of felt fulfilled after I had heard this story, surprisingly. Even more so than I did with the... Um, the Great Divide, because the Great Divide, while the animation was cool, the story between the two tribes and the ball and all that, I wasn't that invested in this story. Whereas, so I, I'll actually, I can paint the picture here. So basically, there's these two lovers who, they're part of two warring tribes and they were actually the first earthbenders and they learned earthbending from the badger moles. And one day, so basically to meet each other, they went through these labyrinths and or or created these labyrinths with their earthbending that no normal person could navigate through. But then one day, the man, Shu, was killed in the war between the two villages. And the woman named Oma, she went into this fit of rage and had this like whole earthbending show that she did. But instead of destroying the two villages, she brought peace to them. And the city got their name from these two lovers because the woman's name was Oma and the man's name was Shu. And they named their city as a monument to these the first two earthbenders love. And that's the story that Aang and Katara stumbled across. Yeah, you know, this story uh, is found in many different cultures. Uh, you know, I feel like they kind of just ripped off West Side Story here. Uh, really? You think it's West Side Story? I feel like no. this is a Japanese folk. I mean, they could be. I don't know. I honestly don't know what the original reference is. I feel like this may be a Japanese folklore story, but I have no proof of that. I just yeah. remember, I think one of the Pokemon games had like a little side story that was very similar to this. Yeah, I was actually just making a joke because uh, it's like very reminiscent of Romeo and Juliet, like the two warring factions oh, okay, and okay. West Side Story is based off Romeo and Juliet. But, oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. See, I'm, I'm not the biggest West Side. <laughs> you see musicals. We, we talk about this. My blind spot. My no apology, worries. Right? No worries. Went straight over my head. Yeah, no worries. Uh, but yeah, I think that this is like a very much uh, like a Romeo and Juliet star- uh, type story. But here it's cool because like it gives us a little bit of lore for the earthbending. So we know that this earthbending is taught by the badger moles and that these were the first earthbenders. 
And then the other thing that we get from the story is the origin of Omashu, uh, like being this name, um, like named after these two lovers. And it's cool because we're about to go to Omashu in the next episode. That's like where they're trying to get to. And so it's like a nice little, uh, you know, lore building event. Uh, it's not really too consequential, the story to like the overall plot, but I think it's a pretty fun uh, way to stop down here yeah. and introduce the advent of earthbending a bit. Yeah, I agree. And it, and it does. It's cool because we're going to meet Toph in a few episodes and Toph also learned her earthbending from the badger moles. Mm-hmm. And I feel like learning your earthbending from a person, you almost evolve into a different earthbender than you would having learned it directly from the badger moles. Because if we read a little bit between the lines, I think Oma and Shu must have been very powerful earthbenders considering the fact that they learned it from the badger moles. Because as we'll see from Toph in a couple of episodes, Toph's earthbending is different, I would say than every a lot a lot of the other earthbenders we'll run into. Uh yeah, no, I, I think that is uh pretty accurate. Like Toph, you know, has a different type of earthbending. Uh and I think that yeah, this is represented pretty well um by here, just like how they learned it as well. So I think it's this is interesting to get into. Uh they don't really do too much here. Uh then the next thing they go back to is uh we see Sokka leading the rest of the group around with the hippies. They've gone to another dead end uh, and Sokka really cho- choose Moku out here. You know, Moku's not trying to do anything mean. He's just saying like, you know, we're at another dead end. I'm sure Moku's upset as well. Uh, and but yeah, Moku gets uh, a lot of the blame here. And this is where Chong says, whoa, we're thinking of ideas. I've had an idea for an hour. Um, and yeah, so- I'll, I'll admit this was pretty funny. Like I was like, OK, this is what I like the jokes of like this, st- this stupid Chong fellows making that I actually did chuckle at. So did you want to cut back to now? We can go back to the dinner and talk about all that with Song and Zuko and Iroh. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think the first thing that we see uh, with them is, uh, yeah, so they're invited to this dinner after, um, going and getting treated for Uncle Iroh's, uh, like, I guess, various rashes. And mm-hmm. this is where, uh, Song's mom is telling about, uh, that, you know, they're refugees and that, you know, we were refugees yourself and that the Fire Nation raided their village so that they know, like, this sort of thing that they're running from quite well. Yeah, Song tells Zuko at dinner that her father was taken away years ago and asks, she asks Zuko, is your father fighting in the war? And then Iroh looks pretty concerned. He starts, like, slurping his noodles super fast. <laughs> but Zuko calmly states, like, yeah, my father is fighting in the war. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, well, technically, he's not lying or saying anything wrong here. I was like, okay, I guess, I guess Zuko's telling the truth. Yeah, this is more like a lie of omission rather than like mm-hmm. an outright yes, lie. And is. I find it so funny that Uncle Iroh starts eating the noodles really quickly because I think Iroh can be like, ooh, maybe this is about to go south. I'm still a little hungry. Like, let me get like one last <laughs> bite in before we have to dip because this exactly. might go poorly really quick. Um, no, I, I like that as well. That's why I had it in my notes. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, uh, yeah. So Zuko says like, yeah, my father is in the war. Then uh, we do get a small scene uh, in the cave, but we'll just keep going there um, to mm-hmm. catch up on this storyline. And we see after dinner, Zuko's like on the porch, just kind of brooding outside as he is wont to do. And songs like... <laughs> yeah, he's always brooding. Poor <laughs> Zuko. Brooding. You're right. It's just funny he says want to do that because it's true. Every episode, I feel like this, especially in season two, there's just like one scene of like Zuko just looking off into the distance depressed. Like... yeah. We don't uh, go an episode without that, especially when they're on their little refugee storyline. 
Yeah, it's like your obligatory sad moment from Zuko. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. But here, here Song comes out to try to comfort Zuko and is like, uh, like I can tell the Fire Nation hurt you, referencing Zuko's scar on his face. Uh, she tries to touch it and Zuko like pushes her away. He like this grabs is actually, her hand too. It's like pretty forceful. Well, but this seems reasonable. Like I do not want true, someone true, touching true. my face. Like please, uh, if you're listening to this, never touch my face. So if someone tries to touch my face, I would happily push their hand away. Like maybe not as forceful as Zuko did because it was a bit uh, a bit abrupt. But uh, yeah, like I I was on Zuko's side here. Yeah, and then Song basically she says she understands Zuko's pain because the Fire Nation hurt her too. And then she lifts up her dress to reveal like a large burn mark on her leg. And you can see just I, I think the writers did a really good job here because Zuko doesn't say anything, but you can actually see a look of shock and horror wash over his face as he like kind of comes to the realization like so this is what my people, the Fire Nation, have been doing to others. And I think this is one of the more powerful moments in the whole episode. Yeah, right now Zuko's kind of like on the edge of two different realities, you know, like he really wants to be part of the Fire Nation again. So like I feel like a lot of times he wants to try to justify the Fire Nation, think the Fire Nation's great. Like he wants to, you know, capture the Avatar and like he wanted to get his honor back and he's still struggling with like all of the desires he had from season 1. But then, like, we also see him recognize and reconcile with the fact that the Fire Nation, the group he's tried to join for so long, has brought a lot of destruction to other people. So I think this is like a moment where Zuko is able to recognize how harmful the Fire Nation can be and maybe like take a step back and be like, okay, like this is bad. Like he did. It does seem like he has a moment of recognition on his face here. Yeah, he does. And then it's this is going to be a lot of season two. We're going to see Zuko walking on this tightrope of morality where mm -hmm. on, the, on the one hand, he's just so enamored with being accepted back into the fold of the Fire Nation. And on the other hand, him and Iroh are going to travel through these like poor Earth Kingdom villages and he's going to meet a lot of these refugees, these people whose lives have been directly impacted by this war. Something that he would have, had he stayed royalty, he would have never had the chance to interact with people like this. And maybe, who knows, maybe his opinions would have never changed on the war. So ultimately, maybe him and Iroh becoming refugees was a good thing for Zuko. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's just finish up the B story really quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, after dinner, Uncle Iroh thanks the mom for dinner, saying the duck was excellent. Uh, the mom has a joke here where she's like, yeah, it's uh, great to see someone eat my cooking with such gusto, uh, which I thought was... Yeah, nice and, I, and I could relate to Iroh in this moment because I'm not the best cook, but I like to eat and I'm kind of like a fat person, but I, at the same time, I don't want to eat more than my fill. But whenever like either a friend of mine or a friend's parent cooks, I always want to be the type of person who's like actually enjoying the food and eat it with gusto because I feel like a lot of chefs in that regard like to see that because then they take pride in what they cooked. So yeah, I could relate to Iroh in this moment as a fellow large individual. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, Iroh is probably not the person that you want to get the best review from, you know, I think he would eat anything. So maybe Song's mom should not take too much uh, joy in the fact that Ira liked her, his uh, or her food, because I think Ira would like anything put in front of him. That's fair. So then yeah. Song tells Zuko, she says he knows she knows he thinks there's no hope in the world, but he should have hope because the Avatar has returned. And then Zuko responds with like a very curt and to the point I know. And that's it. Because as we, uh, as we all know, Zuko's been chasing the Avatar for like 
months at this point. And uh, sadly, Wazuko does something that's not so nice here because I talked about him struggling with his own moral compass. And here, sadly, we you had a Star Wars reference earlier and like Zuko gives into the dark side here because what ends up happening, he sees their ostrich horse on their state in its stable and he just steals the ostrich horse off this off Song and her mom who did nothing wrong to him. They just fed him, too. And sadly, <laughs> yeah. Song sees all this happen. She's like watching through like a crack in the door and uh yeah so zuko steals this ostrich horse tells iroh let's take it and iroh just looks so forlorn and like he just looks down and then sadly hops on the ostrich horse now do you think zuko should have stopped or iroh should have stopped zuko here from stealing the ostrich horse or do you think it's a necessity for their travels? No, I don't. I, I like. I think like, what are you going to do? Like, one Zuko's already taken it. Like, uh, you're probably not going to convince yeah, him to put it back. So, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, Uncle Iroh, like, yeah, he says, like, what are you doing? Uh, like, these people are just kind to you. Uh, but I think that that's pretty much all you can do. This seems like one of those choices in a video game, like uh, Red Dead Redemption or something with like a karma score, where like you can choose to do the right thing and everyone should. Or you can choose just to be a jerk for fun. And if you're going to be a jerk, then like you're probably not going to be talked out of it by some uncle who's just like, hey, don't do that. Yeah. And you know what? Everything you said is true. And that's a that's a good analogy too, comparing it because it does remind me of like a video game-esque decision of, yeah, um, yeah your karma score and stuff. That's a good analogy. So, yeah, I mean, we're basically done with this dinner and the Zuko and Iroh storyline here, essentially. So, we'll cut back to Team Avatar and stuff. So, we have Katara and Aang, and they read this story, and they realize, like, okay, once the light runs out and they have no other options, they should probably just kiss. Why not? And Katara is actually, <laughs> Katara's, Katara's the one who brings this up, and what's funny is that Aang just really fumbles the bag here. Aang has this like perfect opportunity that arises where Katara actually wants to kiss him because it'll, she has to for them to get out of the cave. And Aang is like, well, yeah, I mean, of course I want to kiss you. I'd rather kiss you than be dead. And Katara's like, excuse me? You'd rather kiss me than be dead? And yeah, like I said, Aang just fumbles the bag here because he ends up putting Katara off on the idea of kissing him, sadly. Yeah, I really don't know where this idea comes from uh in terms of like katara because like this doesn't make a ton of sense like yeah they are in the dark kissing but that like i don't know uh like if i walked into an escape room and it was like oh yeah like a person with their shirt off i wouldn't be like oh yeah let me take my shirt off like that's how you get out of a room like that doesn't seem like it would do anything no, you're 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 right. You're right. And uh, what what also is weird is like I think she's taking the let true love lead the way too literally. Whereas like Sokka's not listening to it at all, but she's like, oh, it must be something to do with true love that's gonna get us out of this cave. So she's like, wait, I have to kiss Aang here. And yeah, it is a weird conclusion to come to, especially because Katara's usually she's actually pretty intelligent throughout the series, and I feel like most of the decisions she makes are correct, especially in season two and season three. But yeah, I I, I don't know if this was the right thing. And honestly, it's like, I don't get why, how they didn't even notice these like glowing crystals initially when <laughs> they walk into the cave with, if they just walk in with no torches, wouldn't they just see this, like all these crystals along the ceiling? That was where they kind of lost me a little bit. No, I, I definitely think that these crystals have to be like pretty temperamental. I think this, it has to be like, uh, only in total darkness do they actually show up because you're right. Like as soon as you enter the cave, like before you walk in, you'd be like, Oh, Hey, there's like glowing crystals. So I don't need this light. 
Um, but then you don't get this moment with uh, a ton of blushing here. It actually seems like both people kind of like both Aang and Katara do want to kiss each other and they're just yes, like, yes, you know, talking around it. Uh, but yeah, you are right. Aang throughout this is like definitely just like doing a terrible job uh, to make himself like seem nice. Like, in fact, he's even insulting Katara at some points. <laughs> he's like, I definitely wouldn't want to kiss you. And Katara's like, I'm not that bad of an option. And Aang then resorts to like, oh, I'd kiss, I'd rather kiss you than die. And like, that's just not the move. Like, I'm not the smoothest person myself, but at least I feel like I'd be able to prevent this colossal error. No, same, same, same. But that, what ends up happening is that their torch, run, Aang does fumble the back, but their torch naturally runs out. And then they have a moment where they stare into each other's eyes. The lights in the room slowly dissipate and they kiss in the dark. And I don't even think is their kiss is not even visible on screen, is it? Yeah, so I'm actually, I was not sure that they did kiss like i thought it was just like the like really close like lead up uh and that they like never actually kissed or not uh, i'm actually not sure on that um i i just i was under the assumption they did because they both blush at the end of the episode so i kind well, of thought it like implied that they kissed these not people sure. blush actually. all the time so uh, <laughs> i wouldn't read into the blushing too I guess, much i guess maybe not maybe, maybe you're right yeah. I guess in that we, I mean, we can move on. We can come back to that, but we'll move on for now to soccer and the hippies. They're ambushed by this like swath of bats who it turns out were like trying to get it. Soccer realized like, oh, these bats are trying to get away from something. And it turns out they're trying to get away from this rampaging badger mole. And we see the badger mole for the first time in the series. And I've always loved the badger moles. I think it's really cool that they have this like super large blind animal that actually is very powerful and capable of bending. Because they're essentially like the earthbending equivalent of Appa in a way. Like these like large kind of gentle creatures that are actually capable of bending. Yeah. So these badger moles like, you know, they come from the walls because they're able to bend the walls down. And then what we see is like they split uh, the nomads from Sokka and they start like swiping at Sokka. They start like, you know, moving the earth around his feet. And in the process of trying to get away <laughs> Uh, Sokka ends up touching one of the like guitar looking things uh, and just like strums a random note. Uh, and then as soon as the note happens, the badger mole like kind of looks like cocks his head curiously, like almost like a dog would like, you know, curious mm -hmm. to like see what's coming next. Uh, and Chong's like, oh, these things like music. Uh, and so Sokka just decides to pick up the guitar and start singing along uh, a song. Do you song like Sokka's song moles. here? <laughs> Do you like Sokka's song? That's like almost lauding the badger moles in a way. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, we heard Chong's song earlier be like a bit simple. It's like really, it, it reminds me of like uh, elementary school chants. This reminds me of someone just like making up words, like doing nothing. <laughs> and it, I don't know. I was not a huge fan of this, but... Uh, you know what? I won't be a gatekeeper to good music. I think Sokka <laughs> did an admirable job, especially under the threat of death from a giant badger mole. Yeah, I'm not the biggest musical expert, but I'll be the gatekeeper. This song's pretty <laughs> whack. I'm surprised the badger moles have such bad ears for music, considering they're blind and their sense of hearing should be even better than a normal person's because well, this is not a great song. I don't they probably haven't heard music in so long, you know, maybe like if maybe. I hadn't heard songs in, you know, decades and decades uh, because everyone's scared of me, uh, I would probably settle for anything. 
Yeah, so then we cut back from Sokka and the Badger Moles to back to Aang and Katara. And it turns out the cave ceiling had these crystals that only light up in the dark. And then Aang is like, he wants to say something to Katara about what just happened. But she interrupts him and she's like, just so excited. And she just heads for the exit of the cave right away. And they find the exit. Appa struts out. <laughs> you see Appa, he kind of just passes out almost. He almost reminds me of one of the fainting animations from those old Pokemon games on Nintendo 64 the way Appa just like he stands on his like one two legs and just like passes out with like tongue out of mouth like yeah. you can see how exhausted Appa is from this whole adventure yeah and I think this is a moment where uh you know Appa's finally getting the great outdoors and it was like very relatable it seemed like you're like a big fluffy dog almost just like yes. really excited to be outside and just laying out one thing that I wanted to stop down on for a second. So mm-hmm. uh, once the lights go out, then all of these crystals appear. So then how would anyone who like happened to walk into the cave and had their light go out, not be able to exit and be like, hey, it's actually super easy. Just don't go in with a light. Yeah, I have no idea. Are people just not in the war? Are people just not traveling through this pass often? Because you're absolutely right. I feel like it should. This was my biggest confusion throughout the episode. Should it not be common knowledge that all you need to do to travel through this cave is just walk a certain amount forward? And then once it's pitch black, you'll be led by these illuminated crystals. I don't know. It's kind of weird that this is not common knowledge, but eh, whatever. Like, I I feel like it's one of those things where we're not supposed to look into it too seriously, I guess. But I did have the same thought you are having right now. Well, uh, just like Aang and Katara are able to make uh, make it through the tunnels, we see like a bunch of rumbling, and then we see two holes open up, and out of the holes come out the badger moles. Uh, And these have Sokka on one and the nomads on the other. Sokka jumps down about 30 feet, by the way. Like, Sokka really takes quite That's a true, fall. true. This is a big jump. And these badger moles are tall, too. Because, yeah, the Aang says, oh, we let love lead the way. And Sokka's like, oh, we let huge ferocious beasts lead the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was one of the funnier jokes in the episode. And then yeah. when uh, Katara noticed, she's like, oh, Sokka, your forehead's a little red. And it turns out the reason his forehead is that they do a good job setting up this gag because Chong comes over and he's like, ugh, I think that. That kid might be the Avatar. Don't tell anybody, guys. And then Sokka, you see him slap his forehead, and you see the mark, pronounced mark on his head get even larger. So it turns out his forehead is so red from slapping his head whenever the hippie said something dumb. Yeah, uh, I think that, you know, Sokka had to hit his head pretty often because that red mark on his head is gigantic. And I'd be hitting my head pretty often with these people, too. So I, I'm not I'm not faulting Sokka at all for anything he did this episode, really. Yeah, that's uh, that's fair. One question for you, Zach. Would you rather let uh, Love lead the way or Gigantic Ferocious Beasts? Uh, I haven't had the best... Um love in my life i guess so maybe i'd go with team ferocious beast for now though maybe who knows maybe i'll find true love and then i'll come back to you once we wrap up this podcast and be like no actually jacob i should have let love lead the way all right so we'll see we'll see yeah you know personally i haven't had large ferocious beasts uh work out well in my past so uh, I think I'd have to take a better better shot on love just because uh, any ferocious beast I've come across, <laughs> I've been like scared of. So, uh, yeah, I feel like that's that's what I've got to go with. So, you know, one of each, just like uh, in Avatar. Um, Perfect. We have the yin and the yang together again. <laughs> oh, no. 
Uh, young. But yeah, so, bringing so it back episode, again. That's terrible. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my bad. Bringing it back to that dark place. That movie that we don't talk about. So yeah, the episode ends with the hippies singing. Ang and Tara are both blushing about what happened in the cave. And, uh, yeah, we see, like, Sokka doing this, like, little voiceover about Omashu, and then once it's within view, they could see that, oh, no, it's been conquered by the Fire Nation, and that Fire Nation regalia is hanging off Omashu's walls, and the episode ends. Yeah, uh, you know, if you would have asked me at the beginning of it, uh, of this, um, when we started podcasting, how many Avatar episodes end with the bad people on top, like end with, you know, a cliffhanger where the bad people have the upper hand or like the bad people do something like, you know, get the blimp in the Northern Air Temple episode. I would have said like maybe like two or three, but this seems to happen very frequently. You know, we get Azula at the end of book one. We have the blimp recovered by the bad guys. Uh, you know, we have the episode in prison with Zuko getting the necklace. Here we have um, the city of Omashu gets taken over and we find out like at the very end of the episode. This is much more frequent than I would have thought. No, same. And I guess what the writers end up doing, and it's smart, honestly, because what they'll do is like they'll use the final scene to like set the stage for what evil plan or thing that the Fire Nation is doing next so I kind of understand what they're doing here and it makes sense but yeah I didn't realize how many final scenes of these episodes all end up having like the Fire Nation just in the process of doing something absolutely dastardly or in this case just them having conquered Omashu already mm-hmm. sadly and this one really catches me by surprise because we see Isaka, you know he's being a little silly saying like oh we're finally about to see the destination And then he's like, I present you the Earth Kingdom city of Oh. And then, like, uh, then we see, like, the Omashu being uh, captured under Fire Nation. Yeah, and the animators did a great job because you see Sokka saying, like, Oh, and then, like, pans from his, like, funny face to, like, dun dun. And then you get, like, the musical cue of Mm -hmm. Omashu being, Omashu having been captured. So, yeah, that's how the episode ends. And uh, overall thoughts on this episode, Jacob. Yeah, this is a fun episode, you know. There's nothing, like, there's not a ton of stuff to break down. Uh, oh, actually, uh, one thing I forgot is once Momo and Appa get back together uh, after being Oh, yeah, being they start having the a little conversation. Yeah. yeah they- which we never really seen them before, like, actually communicating like this. Because it's almost like you see Momo, like, miming out a story and you see Appa actually attentive and listening. You're right. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. I, wanted, <laughs> I, I have that in my notes. I wanted to mention, like, this is probably the economic debate that's in the uh, extra oh. credit scene uh, that you mentioned last week. Uh, yeah. Would you look at that? I was just a one episode shy exactly. of this little economic debate they're having. Yeah. Momo's going to great details. He's talking about the stocks rising and falling. Yeah. Apparently, Momo was really big on that like GameStop crash that happened a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> you think, Momo uh, was in on that early and he's telling Appa that he should have followed his lead. So, yeah, there yeah. you go. Momo's a big Wall Street bets contributor on that. <laughs> you know, he loves uh he loves all these hot stock tips and all these hype stocks. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Momo's like got a lot of karma on R slash Wall Street bets. Yes, definitely. I can definitely see that. Anyway, to get back to the episode, I think this episode <laughs> is a lot of fun. Like even the small gags like that, I think, uh, you know, make it so much fun that you have like Momo and Appa just hanging out, telling each other the stories of when they're apart. That's that's a, a cute little extra. But I think the hippies are a great character. The B story doesn't do a ton for me. 
you know, yeah, we see Zuko kind of reconcile with the Fire Nation destruction, but then we also see Zuko steal the ostrich horse. And we're not really in a point in Zuko's journey where I'm like totally clear where he is. Like, it seems like we don't make a ton of progress with him this episode. Uh, so mainly what's left is the secret tunnel song, uh, which is just a lot <laughs> of fun. And like, if that's all the episode gives is like really fun, uh, jokes and like some fun side characters, then I'm okay with that. Uh, this has so much nostalgia for me. I think Chong's played by D. Bradley Baker quite well. Uh, and I think, yeah, we oh, ultimately I didn't even have... know he voiced him, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, not only did we hear Momo and Appa talk about economic debates in the voice of D. Bradley Baker, we also get Chong in the same voice. Um, yeah, that's my take on the episode. You know, if you're looking for an episode that is, has a ton of plot, maybe even like uh, interesting conversation, like the one between the mechanist and Aang, this isn't for you. But if you're here for fun, then you can kick up your feet and really enjoy the episode. What do you think, Zach? Yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. I think both the A side and the B side stories have their fun moments. I think Aang and Katara, this kind of, this episode kind of plants the seeds for a lot of things in the future. It kind of sets the stage for like Aang and Katara's inevitable relationship. It also plants the seeds of like Zuko coming to grips with what the Fire Nation has done to the Earth Kingdom and him ultimately in season three making the decision of going against the Fire Nation. But for now, he's still loyal to them. So yeah, I think this sets this episode while it's not the biggest plot oriented episode and there's not too much action. There's no fights this episode. It's still like a nice, fun little episode in the middle of all the action we're getting. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think this is like a nice little break before we get into serious stuff. You know, we're starting, we started episode two with the Avatar state, which like had a lot of things that are like applicable to the overall plot. And I think that's what made that episode so fun. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and now we get an episode that's silly. And I think this shows you the range that Avatar has. It is a kid show after all. And I feel like this is an episode where even if you're a kid or an adult, you can have a lot of fun watching it. Yeah, I was just sad at the lack of Azula. We just got introduced to her. I just like, ah, I wanted to see a little more Azula. We just got a taste in the episode prior. So, yeah. I don't know, well, we're going to get a lot of Azula going forward in yeah. season two. So, it ain't no big thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, you know, more Azula is always good. I would never complain. But... Ultimately, uh, I'm not too upset with this one little break where we just get a bunch of silly stuff. And uh, yeah, so I think next uh, we'll jump into listener feedback. Uh, as always, you can write in at avatar at poshowrecaps.com or tweet at us at poshowrecaps. Um, the first yeah, question. So what, oh, go on, what feedback did you want to get into first? Oh, I'll, I'll let you continue. Sorry, I was just yeah. about to ask. Uh, yeah, so I think the first feedback comes from Felipe. Uh, Felipe wrote like a nice little thing that I think really summarizes what I think about this episode. He says, this episode encapsulates that even the most low stakes Avatar episode can be phenomenal. The humor and the animation alone are incredible. This is peak exasperated Sokka. And even though I'm more of a cartoon or Qatar, wait, how do you say it like that? Uh, he says, Katu even though he's more Katuka? of a Katuko shipper than a mm -mm. Katang shipper. No, no, no. I definitely, their ship name is Zutara for a reason and that it's easy to pronounce. <laughs> so, uh, my bad for trying to pronounce that, uh, before. But anyways, since he's more of a Zutara shipper, um, anyways, this does a great job with that arc, you know, sh uh, showing this like Katara and Aang relationship as well. Um, his question for us is, did these hippies get lost on their way to Shaggy from Scooby-Doo's family reunion? 
Yeah, Shaggy might be the bright one of the bunch if he's related <laughs> to these hippies. Because, my goodness, they were quite stupid, <laughs> if, I, if I'm being blunt about it. Because, yeah, I mean, they do have that kind of Shaggy vibe. But I guess these guys also, they're not as uh, famished and hungry as Shaggy usually is. So, maybe they're smoking a different strain of grass that doesn't have <laughs> oh them as... <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't have them as hungry as uh, their pothead uh, family member Shaggy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they they could they could be lost on their way to chilling with Shaggy. They do give off Shaggy vibes. Or what do you think, Jacob? Well, hopefully, Shaggy and the rest of these hippies led by Shang, uh, uh they end up at Song's uh, mom's house, and they can all eat some roast duck. Because, uh, yeah, I think these hippies would fit in pretty well with Shaggy. I feel like Shaggy would vibe with the songs that they're cooking up. And I feel like we'd get some nice adventures if these people rolled up with Shaggy's gang as well. Uh, yeah. And then what other feedback do we have? Was it just Lydia this week? Were there any questions in the question thread? My apologies. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah, so, uh, I usually do. Well, first off, we had Jacob, not me, write in. And he said, <laughs> not a question. I like it as a preface, not me. <laughs> Yes, I did not write it into my own. Applied, but I, I get it. Continue, continue though. What were you saying? Uh, he said, not a question, just an appreciation for the best music in the series, the Secret Tunnel song. Uh, and I do want to take another moment just to say how great of a song that is. If you haven't listened to the episode, you know, even just looking up that sound, I think uh, just makes you so happy about what Avatar is. Uh, Zach, do you co-sign that uh, this is the best song in the series? I like the Secret Tunnel song a lot, and I think it's the like by far the best song that the hippies sing in the episode. I think because they get into even their song with Sokka later is not very good in my opinion. So this is a great song. Is it my favorite song in the series? I don't know. I don't know if I could co-sign that just yet. Right. I'd have to look at All the right. whole soundtrack, but I don't know if I could definitively say it's my favorite. All right. Well, uh, maybe in our book two and review, we can go over and see if any other songs are better. Uh, John John wrote in and he asked, uh, how much roast duck did Iroh eat? Uh, I wanted to ask you a question, Zach. Have you ever had roast duck yourself? I have not actually. And it's funny because my roommate was just saying he went to a restaurant a couple months ago and they were talking about they had a duck curry of sorts. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't think, I think I've had duck in the past, but I've never had, I can't recall like how I like the taste or anything like that. So one of these days, maybe I want to have some duck. Apparently it's very fatty and people say, Duck is a very tasty meat, tasty bird. So yeah. I've never actually, I can't recall having it, but I think I may have a couple of times. What about you? Are you a big duck guy, Jacob? Uh, you know, I'm I'm a vegetarian now, but before I was, oh, uh, I did I did have some roast duck. Um, it was fine. You know, I I don't get all the hype. Uh, I definitely think Uncle Iroh probably ate uh, like an entire duck himself. Uh, and that's not something I would ever want to do. Even before as vegetarian, I think duck would be like on the lowest tier, in my opinion. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've heard good things about duck. I've kind of always thought of it as like a bougie meat in a way. All right. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure it's uh, my favorite, but, you know, none of it is. So, what can you do? Uh, that's fair. That's fair. Dan, so, you're a full vegetarian? I actually, sorry to interrupt. Sorry to interrupt. I did not know that about you. So, do you not eat any semblance of meat at all? Uh, yep. No, no meat for a while now. Uh, wow. Yeah, I've been doing it a Very while. You know, I took my inspiration from Avatar Aang himself as a vegetarian. I was just about to say, like, just a very Aang-like in that regard. Yeah, yeah I'm uh, I'm just like, uh, you know, an airbender minus the uh, actual airbending parts. But mm -hmm. yeah, uh, vegetarian for a while. So, you know, the sea prunes don't appeal to me. The roast duck doesn't appeal to me. 
not none of that stuff. But <laughs> I don't think the sea prunes appeal to anybody, vegetarian <laughs> or not. But yeah, we we can ask we can answer Dan's question because I see it right here. Yeah, Dan asks us, "What's the worst way you've put your foot in your mouth when talking to a crush?" Jacob, do you want to answer this first? Yeah, you know, I said earlier I'm not very smooth, so I'd say I put my foot in my mouth all the time. Uh, like nothing comes to mind super well. Uh, there have been times where, you know, like I've said things that were just like not true, like trying to brag. And then like, uh, whenever like they come up again, I have to like spin like a more and more like intricate way out of what I said. I'd say that's how I often most get my time into, uh, get myself into trouble, but I can't think of any one instance uh, I guess the only thing that comes to mind was uh, I did tell someone that I had a crush on in the eighth grade that I had a gift for her birthday that was tomorrow. Uh, and I had nothing prepared because like someone else was talking about like, oh, it's your birthday tomorrow. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give you the gift I have. And she was like, oh, OK, sounds good. Uh, and I didn't have anything prepared. So that was a bit of a a bit of a low moment. But, you know, I don't even think that was too bad. Uh, Zach, do you have any bad stories? Uh, yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I've put my foot in my mouth in front of numerous girls in the past, but I can't think of a great moment off the top of my head. I remember there was a girl from my work I really liked. And then I think I, I used the word infer or something that she was like, oh, you think you're so smart using such a big word? And I was like, damn that's a five letter word how the hell is that big and she was like offended by that comment it was like implying she was stupid so i don't know she was she was not very happy with me there my crush in that moment in time yikes uh, um yeah. yeah so not not very smooth on my part i'll be honest yeah i don't think that infer is one of those big words to stay away me from neither, so, uh, but i should not have said that out loud and I, all right i learned my lesson Good to know. Uh, you know, that's out of my vocabulary from now on. You won't catch me huh? saying infer anymore. Uh, I, th I think you can drop it here or there. I don't think Lydia will care too much. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know uh, how it go, how bad it goes. Speaking of Lydia, uh, Lydia wrote in asking about Iroh's conundrum. She writes, if you saw that plant, what certainty would you need that it would not poison you before you ate it? I'm pretty sure Iroh only needs to be about 45% sure, whereas I would need to be 96% sure it wasn't poison. What about you, Zach? How sure would you need to be to risk delicious tea or deadly poison? I need 100% sure. I'm not a big tea oh, guy. It's not food. Yeah, it's not food. It's not going to, like, sustain you for a long period of time. Like, at that point, if you already have the water to boil with the tea, then I might as well just drink water. Like, I like tea. Don't get me wrong. Me and my... I drink a lot of tea, honestly. I don't, I'm not a big coffee drinker, so tea is a big part of my life currently. So, yeah, I'm not trying to hate on any tea drinkers out there, but there's no way I'd even a 96% chance, Lydia. I don't want the 4% chance of poison in me. I got I already got some skin issues. I don't want the rash Iro had that looked gnarly as F. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't want So, I'm, I'm going 100%. I don't know about you, Jacob. Like, maybe you're like one of those 99.9% .9 people. Like, they got on these like Lysol bottles and stuff. No. Nah. <laughs> man give me that hundred percent easy see here i was thinking that like my 75 percent chance was going to be too conservative because i'm thinking you know good tea once in a lifetime opportunity i'll roll the dice for a second how, how, you know? how good is this tea this tea better give me superpowers if it has a <laughs> chance of poisoning me like i think 75 percent is way too low I'm, I'm i'm closer to lydia don't get me wrong 96 percent is a lot but i would go 100 yeah see i think that uncle iroh ends up being fine you know he gets a rash but you know it's a good story you know uh things are either gonna be like a good story or a a good experience so mm, he 
was about to stop breathing had he not gotten <laughs> treatment. I think he got like no, I, I like it worked out for him, but I think he narrowly dodged a bullet that he wouldn't have had to dodge had he been a little bit smarter. I don't oh, know if the right. story was worth it. Maybe it was. I don't know. Well, <laughs> uh, well, I will. Uh, I'll make sure I never give you anything that's mysteriously, uh, you know, could be poison. I'll, I'll make yeah, sure I'm 100 percent certain before I give you anything. Perfect. Thank, thank, thanks All for right. being my taste tester. There. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, there you go. That's our listener feedback for this week. As always, uh, please do write in at postshowrecaps.com. Another way you can contribute is by giving us your episode rankings from zero to four cabbages. Uh, Zach and I, each week, will rank the episodes. We'll take the average of our ranking and the listener's ranking to get the official ang in their score. Zach, where are you on The Cave of Two Lovers this week? I'm going to give The Cave of Two Lovers a 3.2 out of 4 is where I stand. A solid app. Nothing like 3.2 is good score. That's like about close to 80%, right? So, yeah. Not bad, not good. I mean, I mean, not, not, I mean, it was good, don't get me wrong, but nothing too crazy happens this episode. Ultimately, inconsequential to the overall plot, but it does set the stage for a lot of things we'll see going forward. So I got it at a 3.2 out of 4. What about yourself, Jacob? I'm a quite, um, I'm quite a bit higher than you are. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. that this is purely just because, like, this was my favorite episode growing up. I love oh, the Secret Tunnel song. Uh, I think that, you know, when I first saw this, uh, like when it was first coming out, this was the episode that, like, I gravitated to the most. Maybe, like, when I, like, watched it a second time, I didn't like it a ton, but it still holds up to me. Uh, you know, it's not great in a rewatch just because it's not super consequential and, like, it, it honestly doesn't even have the best jokes of the series. But I think I have this episode at a 3.6. That would be, like, an A in my book. Uh, and that's mainly just because I love the hippie characters. I love the, like, Secret Tunnel song. And I think that has lived on and made my, uh, Avatar fandom. Uh, go through the roof. I will say the listeners are even higher on this episode than I am, Zach. They're at a 3.78. Yeah, the listeners really like this episode, which kind of surprised me. I did not think this would be an episode that is this popular with the listeners, but hey, I'm proven wrong. Yeah, uh, I think this is one of the few times that the listeners have been significantly over either of our rankings. Uh, they're bringing up their overall ranking quite a bit. The overall ranking is at a 3.5. Five, three. So there you go. Cave of Two Lovers, a solid episode in the books. No fights of this week, so no battle of the battles. The only thing left is our T Quartet, where we'll be breaking down the Winnie the Pooh characters. Zach, where do you want to start on this one? Hmm. I feel like this was kind of a tough quartet to do because some, like, for example, let's start with Eeyore. Eeyore for me does not necessarily scream any type of bender in a way. He'd almost be one of these like sad non-benders that you'd come across in the show. Kind of like some of these like sad NPC villagers that we've <laughs> seen in past pro- past episodes prior. Because yeah, Eeyore, of course, we all know about Eeyore. He's like got the pin tail and he's the depressed donkey of the group. He's very morose with everything he does so what type of bender did you think Eeyore was did you do you think he's a firebender because he probably is the most firebender of this group i would say but not that he screams firebender yeah so you know usually when we do these uh quartets what i find is easiest is like there's usually a very clear airbender and there's usually a very mm-hmm. clear firebender uh, yes that, that's like usually how i gravitate to these like okay 
who is the person who's like clearly air? Who's the person clearly? And this fire? is not one of those quartets. And this, yeah, this is not one of those mm-hmm. quartets. You know, this is a quartet where everyone kind of like has some sort of like I don't know, uh, like d- uh, issue or like disorder that they're like dealing with. And <laughs> I feel like none of them are like you know aggressing people. They're all like have internal problems, uh, and so it makes it like a bit hard to find like who's the aggressive person, who's the independent one, and all that. Uh, and this is something I struggled with. Ultimately, I do have Eeyore as my firebender. I think it's a bit more clear when we take a look at who's left. Uh, if we see like Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh's not a firebender. I mean, yeah, nothing about not. him. Yeah. And, and same, honestly, same with Tigger and Piglet, who yeah. are the other people we're going to round out our four with. There's just nothing about them that's firebenderish at all. Yeah. So I think it'll be more clear. Uh, you know, Eeyore's a firebender mainly just out of necessity. No one else is there to take that, uh, mm-hmm. mantle there. And I think that Eeyore is like kind of like the May that we'll be introduced to next week. Uh, you know, very bleak, uh, very just like serious all the time, little emotion. I feel like that's sort of like the type of firebender that Eeyore would be. Yeah. And then where did you want to go next? Did you want to go with Tigger next? Yeah. You know, let's do the easy one. Uh, Tigger is the one who's like rambunctious, literally bouncing around all the time. Like clearly, uh, like the ADHD, uh, like just jumping all over the place all the time, never running out of energy. I feel like that's kind of the like fun loving spirit of an air nomad. I feel like Tigger would be great at airball. Uh, I feel like you, you know, you could even put Jinju on his team and he's still going to make a run at it. Uh, so wow. I feel like he's got it. Even with Jinju dragging the team down, yeah. you think Tigger could put in a Herculean effort and carry his team to victory? I really think he could. And I think that's what makes him the airbender. Uh, Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, for me, it was like both Tigger and Winnie seemed very airbenderish to me, but I wanted to choose one of them for it because the thing was Winnie the Pooh and I'll move on to him a little bit because Winnie, I just feel like to me, he's so like Buddha-esque in a way, like he's so content with just eating and his, his honey and stuff. And the Buddha to me is like the perfect example of like a live a person in real life who screams airbender because he's got a lot of those nomad traits. But ultimately, like you, I kind of went with Tigger because he's so enthusiastic and fun loving. And that's why, like Pooh even says at one point, he says, Tigger always seems bigger because of his bounces, implying that the other animals like think of Tigger larger than he actually is because that's how big his personality is. So I think I'll agree with you and I have Tigger as my airbender. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, just like normal, I think we can say who's the fire, who's the air. We're left with water and earth and Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. Uh, ultimately I have Piglet as the water bender. Uh, I feel like Piglet's the one who's like worrying, uh, I guess like very nervous, very filled with anxiety, uh, like always saying like, Oh dear, when things go wrong. Uh, and I feel like that's sort of like, the emotions of a waterbender, whereas the earthbender probably isn't going to be so worried about things. And that's essentially what I have there. Uh, do you disagree with the the piglet as a waterbender? I don't disagree. I think maybe a listener or two might have take umbrage to the fact that we slotted piglet as a waterbender because he doesn't necessarily scream waterbender. But I do agree with what you're saying of how an earthbender would be a lot more sure of themselves and their abilities, something piglet just isn't. So for yeah. that reason, I think you kind of have to slot him as a waterbender. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that makes sense to me. And that leaves Winnie the Pooh as the earthbender. 
Uh, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, Winnie the Pooh kind of represents the earthbender here. I see the airbender argument that you were making, Zach, but I feel like Winnie the Pooh's so, uh, like, engrossed with things like honey and like checking out like and making sure like um the space that they live in is like very orderly and tidy i feel like that's the sort of thing that you know an earthbender would be uh worried about is like the stuff that's real the practical uh, i feel like that's what makes winnie an earthbender to me what about you yeah that's fair i mean he does focus on the the real and he's also i mean he loves his honey he loves the material in a way which does not scream airbender so because of that it does make sense like he's a, I, honestly there's not really an earthbender amongst this but necessarily but he just just like a lot of these other ones he just screams earthbender the most so i think it makes sense to have him as the earthbender here cool uh, there you go. That is our T quartet for this week. We have Eeyore as the firebender, Tigger as the airbender, Piglet for water, and Winnie for earth. Next week, Zach, we'll be starting off a uh, series that will last a few weeks. We'll be going through Marvel characters. Uh, next week, we'll be starting off with Team Iron Man from uh, Captain America Civil War. We'll be looking at Iron Man, Black Widow, Black Panther, and Spider-Man for our T quartet. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Marvel film aficionado. I don't want to come across as like I'm painting myself as some super fan, but I have seen Captain America Civil War. I've watched that one. And uh, yeah, I think we'll be able to slot them in pretty easily. I mean, I read the comics. I watched a lot of Marvel cartoons growing up, so I think I'll be fine talking about them and slotting them into bending slots. And maybe throughout this whole, because we're going to be doing this a couple of weeks, and if there's any like other Marvel heroes that are not technically part of a quartet that you'd like us to slot into a bending slot then we can do that too i mean we're malleable right jacob yeah we could do that yeah and if you have any hot takes about the the four people we mentioned next week definitely write it in in your feedback and let us know who should be uh what bending type we'll be sure to incorporate your feedback there Um, yeah and that's about it from us i mean you can follow us on our respective twitters and of course at post your recaps on twitter where can they find you on twitter jacob yeah i'm at jk redmond uh, you know, tweeting about things like WandaVision and the Saints crushing loss. Uh, where are you, Zach? I'm at Zach Muhammad 32, 32 in honor of the man who kind of got me a podcasting gig in a way because I want a contest to an impression of him. Shaq, his former number. And yeah, Zach Muhammad 32. Uh, like I said, I was just on um, the Robin Akiva Nita podcast talking about the movie Kazam. That was a lot of fun. Got to bust out my little Shaq impersonation there. So I had fun with that. And yeah, you can also pop in and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts at postshowrecaps.com slash ATLA. Anything else we should be plugging here, Jacob? No. Uh, until next time. Uh, see you later, folks. Peace out, guys. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. 
Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.